Hello, I'm Dr. Alistair Lindsay, and many thanks for joining us for this first edition of the Heart BMJ podcast. Each podcast will discuss in more detail a paper published each month in the Heart BMJ journal. Each podcast will, of course, be available on heart.bmj.com, where you will also find all the latest publications from the journal, uh, our journal scan blog, and you'll be able to link to our Twitter feed, heart underscore BMJ. Our first guest in the podcast is Dr. Peter Bramlager, who works in Malo in Germany, and we'll be discussing his paper recently published in Heart, The Effect of Optimal Medical Therapy on One-Year Mortality After Acute Myocardial Infarction. Dr. Bramlager joins me on the line now. Hi. I wanted to begin by asking you a little bit about the background to your study. Uh, this is obviously an important area of research, how and when patients are treated after myocardial infarction and how efficiently this is done. Can you tell us a little bit about the background to your study? Okay, thank you for your nice introduction. Um, I think the background is that the introduction of beta blockers, aspirin, statins and the other compounds such as uh, clopidogrel or rust blocking agents um, have really been important steps forward in the secondary prevention of acute myocardial infarction and these data have been obtained in randomized controlled trials, um, for which is known that they tend to include patients that have a low risk compared to clinical practice. There's one registry called GRACE where this has been impressively shown, um, and uh, they showed that in clinical trials, patients with very high risk are excluded because they just do not feel, fulfill the inclusion criteria or the exclusion criteria. But even within the patient group that is eligible for randomized controlled trials, those with high risk are not included. So what you see in randomized controlled trials is a low-risk patient group. And what we expected would, uh, was that um, if we conduct similar analyses in clinical practice, such as the ZAMI registry, uh, we would likely observe a higher benefit from these drugs than in clinical trials. And this was the case, actually. Um, ZAMI was conducted in 2003 and 2004, and we aim to compare five drugs, or the, the combination of five drugs, on cardiovascular endpoints and chose total mortality because it's just the hardest endpoint there is, and everybody who is really interested in the effect of medical therapies asks for total mortality on the longer run. Okay, well, that's very interesting, and I think it's a very good starting point. Yes, we know that traditionally a lot of high-risk patients do seem to be left out of clinical trials. Can you give us any more information about the SAMI registry you mentioned? Uh, as far as I understand, that's a nationwide registry in Germany. Um, how long are you planning to continue it for, and, and how is it funded, for example? Absolutely. Um, SAMI was a nationwide reg registry in 79 hospitals throughout Germany. Um, they have All hospitals eligible have been addressed, and 79 agreed to take part. It is an um, initiative from the Arbeitsgemeinschaft Leitner Krankenhauskardiologen, which is a German study group consisting of all major hospitals in Germany. And these 79 hospitals recruited overall 5,353 patients 
that were hospitalized for ST elevation myocardial infarction or non-STEMI um, between 2003 and 2004. And they documented the hospital course, the outcome within the hospital course, and followed the patient for one year after hospital discharge. And this is um, yeah, the, the rough outline of what we uh, had as a framework for our analyses. Very good. So your study then addresses what is considered optimal medical therapy after uh, an acute coronary syndrome. Could you outline for us in uh, Germany and for the benefits of, of the listeners for this study, uh, what you consider to be optimal medical therapy in your institution, when that is started, and particularly which drugs and what doses are used in your institution? I think there are five classes that should be components of an optimal medical therapy. This is aspirin, beta blockers, statins, blockers of the renin-angiotensin uh, system, which are ACEs or ARBs, and thianopyridines, such as clopidogrel or prasugrel or something. So every patient that receives all five of these drugs uh, was considered to be receiving optimal medical therapy. Um, there were, however, patients in ZAMI included which had contraindications such as severe bradycardia below 50 or systolic blood pressure below 90 or something like that, uh, that are contraindications for the prescription of, for example, beta blockers. Mm -hmm. And we left out every patient that had any contraindication uh, to one of the components. So it's a cohort that we analyzed that was eligible in principle for receiving all five of these drug classes. I see. And as regards antiplatelet therapy, um, is clopidogrel still the uh, mainstay of antiplatelet therapy along with aspirin in patients uh, who have acute coronary syndromes in Germany? Or do you feel new agents such as prasugrel are becoming more common? Yeah, I mean, it, it, aspirin and clopidogrel is certainly the mainstay, and I think they have the highest market share for, for sure. Uh, prasugrel has just recently been approved, and there are other uh, drugs on the horizon which yes. may fit into this like um, ticagrelor or something yes. uh, but as of today and especially for this analysis which was conducted in 2003 and 2004 as I mentioned earlier I see. Uh, clopidogrel is certainly the substance that we investigated Excellent, very good so uh, moving on I wanted to ask you in particular one of the things that struck me about this study that was most impressive uh, was the mortality benefits that was seen oh, yeah. when patients were given optimal medical therapy. Could you quantify that for us a little, tell us a little bit more uh, about that? Yeah, okay. I think one striking finding was that actually less than 50% of patients received optimal, mm -hmm. optimal medical therapy, which is very low, I think. On the other hand, uh, because it was conducted five or six years ago, Guidelines did not request clopidogrel, for example, for every patient. So it's not about blaming physicians not to prescribe uh, optimal, optimal medical therapy at that time, but to, to have a unique chance also to pick out patients that only receive two or four drugs and compare these to patients receiving none or only one drug. Uh, and this is what we did. Uh, we compared patients that only received one or even none of the drugs 
to patients that receive optimal medical therapy, all five drug classes, and we saw a relative risk reduction for total mortality of 83%, which is huge yes. in my impression. And even if after adjusting for differences such as age, gender, comorbidity, risk factors, um, and comorbid disease, um, even then, the risk reduction was still 74%, and this was highly significant. It, it is. I completely agree. And uh, when you hear those sort of numbers, it, it brings me back to the point that you mentioned at the beginning, which is we begin to wonder why less than half of patients overall were given these medications. Yeah, absolutely. I, I take your point that guidelines now are, are more advanced, and it may mm-hmm. be uh, that, that if you repeated the study, perhaps over the coming five years, perhaps that number would go up and more than half of patients would receive medications. Would absolutely. you agree with that sentiment? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, uh, the, the, the data set that is five or six years old is a somewhat unique possibility to investigate the interlink between null and one drug and optimal medical therapy because if you would repeat the same study today you would see that most of the patients will receive optimal medical therapy most will receive five or only four drugs and so the analyses would not be able to really compare them to receiving only one or null drug i understand yes Now, there's just one other main point I wanted to ask you about, which is that, of course, even if we as physicians prescribe the drugs appropriately, it's then also important to make sure that the patients keep taking them appropriately. Uh, And that can be very challenging, too. Um, Am I right in saying, correct me if I'm wrong here, that your study also showed that at one year follow-up, a lot of patients were not taking their medications correctly? Yeah. The analyses that we published in the heart uh, were showing that patients that were receiving optimal medical therapy at hospital discharge uh, were doing better if they received all five instead of O or one drug. Mm-hmm. But I think you're correct that there are several steps between hospital discharge and the one-year follow-up which may... Uh, result in losing certain components of OMT, um, such as the patient is discharged, but the treating physician that is going to to, uh, support him over the year is not compliant with the five-drug regimen. It may be that one of the components is just expensive so that they leave, for example, clopidogrel for the patient for three months or six months, and then they stop uh, therapy. And there might even be patients that really do not uh, follow the recommendations and do actually not take the drugs that were prescribed. So there are many steps uh, between hospital discharge and the one-year follow-up which may lead to low patient compliance and a worse result, of course. 
I, I completely agree. And we do find that problem here in the UK too, where patients are not often followed up by their uh, cardiologist. Uh, they yeah. may be discharged back to their family doctor. And of course, there the medications may be changed according to cost or side effects. And it's difficult Absolutely. to know uh, whether the patient's taking what ideally we would like them to be on. If I could just finish uh, with one other question, which uh, we mentioned mortality earlier on. Uh, can you tell us anything about the, the morbidity benefits from taking uh, OMT or optimal medical therapy yeah. in your study? Uh, good question. And, and we analyzed morbidity as well, uh, realizing that mortality is the uh, endpoint that we were really interested in because it's a very, very hard endpoint. Um, we observed the same trends for morbidity, reinfarction, or stroke, or some, some, some other cardiovascular events, uh, but the data were not so consistent and so convincing uh, to be presented because the telephone follow-up was uh, absolutely valid for, for mortality, but not so much for, for the other endpoints. So it's quite it's somewhat a limitation of the study. I see. So over the phone, it can be difficult to tell yeah, if right. the patient has has further genuine chest pain or, or something like that. Yeah, he had an e event, but nobody knows which kind of event he had. And, I see. Uh, the trends were very much the same, uh, and we have the data, and they are also consistent with the with the data for for mortality endpoints. Uh, but the confidence intervals were wider, mm -hmm. um, so it's not that easy with the patient number given uh, to show these, the same benefits. Wonderful. Well, with that, Dr. Bramlager, it only remains for me to thank you for your time and for contributing to this HEART podcast. I appreciate your call. Thank you very much for joining us for this first edition of the HEART BMJ podcast. All our podcasts will, of course, be available on the heart.bmj.com website, and please look out for the second edition of the podcast, which will be available soon.